Welcome to the God and Cancel Culture podcast. That's the name of my new book, which will release September 7th. That's the day after Labor Day. Hello, everyone. This is Stephen Strang. I've been working on the book. I interviewed a lot of people for the book, and I'm wanting to showcase the book in a new podcast. Actually, what you're about to hear is my Strang report. I interviewed various sources and played them as podcasts. Uh, Some of them I even recorded myself on Zoom as I was out of town working on the book. I hope you enjoy them. I think they'll give you a lot of feedback. But you may have already heard it on the Strang Report, so I wanted to give this disclaimer up front. I also want to encourage you to pre-order the book. It actually helps us get the word out when we have a lot of pre-sales on Amazon.com. Eventually, of course, the book will be everywhere. I feel that the situation in our country is very serious. That's why I wrote this book, because the book is really about God and his purposes and what's happening in our country, both good and bad. So listen to my episode that originally ran on the Strang Report podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Strang Report podcast, the podcast to encourage you to experience the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm Stephen Strang. And today, I have the privilege of interviewing Ken Fish of Orbis Ministries, talking about some very important things that are going on in our world and our culture. He has a very different perspective than a lot of Christian ministries, and I think you'll enjoy his insights. They're actually insights that I'm including in my new book called God and Cancel Culture. As I'm recording this in April, of 2021, I'm hard at work in the book, and I'm using some of my interviews as podcasts. Of course, people will be listening to this long after the book is out, which will be the day after Labor Day. My deadline is in about a month from now. And I just thought that you would enjoy this podcast. At the end of the podcast, I'll tell you how you can pre-order a copy of God and Cancel Culture. You don't want to miss my interview with Ken Fish, So stay tuned. Welcome to the Strang Report with Steve Strang on the Charisma Podcast Network. This episode was produced to discuss and address issues within our nation and around the world from a Christian worldview. Ken Fish, you have some very interesting perspectives on cancel culture. I wish you would share them with me and my listeners. Well, there's so much to say, Steve. you know, this whole movement to uh, cancel culture really came to a rolling boil, and I might even say boiled over during the last election cycle. And I think it's a, you know, it's an extension of the wider outrage that, you know, people are feeling and expressing toward injustices that have, you know, that have happened through the years and that have never been adequately addressed. But I think it's a real mistake to try to, as they say, cancel culture. You know, the very language, of course, suggests that we're going to get out a big eraser, almost like we're working on a whiteboard and just erase everything that's been already done. Well, of course, this has happened before. Uh, Communists and other kinds of socialists are well known for doing this. In fact, in some ways, they have to cancel whatever was the norm before they came to power in order to impose their will on the population. But this new cancel culture 
you know, takes the effect of companies canceling people on social media. That's, of course, well known. But then even like with Amazon threatened to cancel customers if they did business with Parler. You know, in my book, I'm documenting what happened there. And so it's like taking on a whole new dimension. But, you know, because you're a historian and a, a thinker, there's actually a bigger context culturally of what's happening here, isn't it? That's exactly correct. I mean, the things that we see Amazon doing, this is nothing more than um, a monopolist, you know, using its monopoly position to engage in predatory behavior. And by the way, speaking of canceling culture, uh, Amazon should be taken to task for that sort of thing, because at least in the past in this country, Democrats have been the ones who have led the charge to take on, well, companies that engaged in rapacious robber baron like behavior. That's why Standard Oil was broken up when it was a monopoly. That's why in the end, AT&T, Ma Bell got broken up because of all of this kind of, you know, indefensible anti-competitive behavior. Amazon is doing nothing more and nothing less than the same thing. It's just that in this case, Amazon is on the side of the party currently in power, so they have a defender. But in the end, probably Amazon needs to be broken up because they hold what amounts to a monopoly position for online shopping in the United States. They talk about the cultural thing of what's happening, especially as it relates to, you know, the good things about Western civilization, you know, that have happened in the last hundred years. Yet a lot of that is being canceled by people who say, well, everyone's racist or on and on. Yeah. So, you know, this is a this is such a big topic that, um, you know, we could we could literally hold an entire conference on this, but not that we're going to try to do that. But 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 it could be done and it and it wouldn't be out of place to do so. And of you course, know, I'm writing an entire book on the subject. So, yeah, which is good because somebody needs to be saying, you know, what you are saying. But, you know, at the end of the day, when people are saying cancel culture, what they're trying to do is tear down the very foundations of a society that historically has been one that all the world has looked at and wanted to come to. Now, let's be clear. There have been problems. There have been uh, mistakes made. There have been um, there's been injustice. There's been racism. Uh, there's been at times episodes of violence. We can go on and on listing all of the offenses and grievances so there's a lot of things that people could say about uh, the, the perceived injustices, the violence, the racism that have been endemic at times in parts of American society. But the fact remains that from all over the world, people want to come to this country because in fact, it's better than everywhere else in the world. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to defend what is now thrown under the bus as American exceptionalism, but because it's true. We wouldn't have a border crisis right now if it weren't for the fact that millions of people who live south of the Rio Grande River look at the United States and say, there's more opportunity there. I will have a better life there. My children can get an education there. And I don't mean the free education that everybody kicks around like a political football. I just mean they can actually get any education. People look at that and they say, I'm willing to take a risk to come to America. And by the way, millions of other immigrants did that in decades and centuries gone by. In those earlier times, they may not have come from Latin America. They may have come from, well, Eastern Europe, uh, at times from Western Europe. 
Um, but America is a nation of immigrants because America has always been a land of opportunity. And part of what makes it a place of opportunity is the fact that we have attempted, albeit imperfectly, to create opportunities for everybody. I mean, I look at my own life. I went to a very good university, but no one in my family went to a university like that. In fact, I was the first person in my generation to graduate from college. And although my grandmother worked and put herself through university, nobody in my family before that had graduated from college. And yet they came to this country as immigrants. And so they worked as farmers and uh, my grandfather worked in a foundry. Um, you know, they were good, honest, hardworking people, but, but they didn't have those opportunities. This is why people have come to America. So to say we wanna cancel culture, is to say we wanna destroy all of that opportunity that has historically drawn millions and millions, I think it's safe to say hundreds of millions of people to the United States of America. I don't wanna cancel that culture. Absolutely not. And you know, as we cope with it as conservatives and as Christians, what can people do, maybe even to persuade the powers that be in the, not only the government, but in, the media and others, that this is just wrongheaded, that, you know, people's livelihoods and lives should not just be canceled, because in a lot of instances, they want to just cancel you from even having the right to exist, to having a business online or, or whatever the uh, circumstance might be. Well, you know, I'm going to give a, a pithy answer, which is going to require homework of anybody who might listen to this. And then I can unpack that a little bit. But there was a professor at the University of Chicago. Um, he's retired now, and I'm not sure, but he might even be dead. But his name was uh, Milton Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. Milton Friedman, F-R-I-E-D-M-A-N. And he wrote a little book, not very long. Anybody who knows how to read could, uh, could digest this book. It requires a little bit of thinking, and it'll break some paradigms. And so... You might have to stop and chew on a bit as you as you read through it, but the book is called Capitalism and Freedom. And the central thesis of the book is that um, true political freedom arises from capitalism because it gives people the ability to determine their own uh, their own economic outcome, their own means of production. Now, of course, this this presupposes that we have the right to be entrepreneurs, and some people choose not to be entrepreneurs. They go to work for others, um, perhaps in a large company or maybe a smaller one. When I started my career, I was working for large Fortune 500 companies. And some of my friends said to me, you're crazy. You should go start a company of your own. And of course, everybody knows the phenomenon if they, if they read journals like Fortune or uh, you know things like this. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of the other one, Forbes. Fortune and Forbes, they're kind of you know, competitors to one another in the business periodical space. But we've got other magazines like Inc. and so forth. All of these magazines are, you know, they, 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 they either highlight, showcase, extol, or at least note the phenomenon of entrepreneurism. But the reason that people want to be entrepreneurs is they're looking for a better life and they can control their own outcomes to a very great degree. Sure, they could be outcompeted and put out of business, but at the end of the day, they get to keep the fruit of their labors after they pay their bills. That's what entrepreneuring is all about. Well, Friedman's thesis is that capitalism breeds freedom because people are not beholden to the government. And Benjamin Franklin once said, 
that a government that is big enough to grant you everything you want is also big enough to take everything you have. Ronald Reagan co-opted that line, but it was actually originally that idea came from Benjamin Franklin, who was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. And so this idea is as old as America, and it's one of the reasons that capitalism is inextricably bound up with Americanism. Now, again, we can certainly make note of the fact that there have been times that capitalism has been done very poorly, I would say, even to the point of being oppressive. Take note of books like Upton Sinclair's Leviathan, which, which notes this kind of behavior. Um, we can think about the things that were going on in the east end of London uh, in the uh, 1700s, the 18th century, uh, young girls who would get a, a condition known as fossy jaw. They were working in hat shops, but through the use of phosphorus as part of the hat making uh, process, their jaw bones began to break down because phosphorus is damaging the bones. This was all the result of you know what has come to be known as uh, robber capitalism. Well, okay. Clearly, there's a need to moderate some of that excessive greed, no question about it. And in the best case, the gospel itself should cause Christian business people to moderate that because they should have the best interests of their employees at heart. But we can't assume that all capitalists are Christians. And even if they are Christians, they may not be very dedicated ones. And so they may not actually put into practice, you know, strictures to stop damage to their employees. But nevertheless, it remains true that capitalism produces a greater level of wealth and therefore the greatest good for the greatest number. And this is, this is a direct reason why America is the wealthiest nation that has ever existed. Now, we're in decline from our peak anyway. Maybe we'll have a rally at some point and America will you know, once again attain to its former uh, you know, status. I don't know, that remains to be seen. But it's undeniable that uh, through, the, through the first couple hundred years of American history, we became the most powerful and wealthy nation in history by a substantial margin, by the way. And all of that arose because of capitalism and the ability for individuals to control the means of production and their own economic output and not to be beholden to somebody who was some kind of a, I don't know what you wanna call it, an overlord? Uh, somebody who was a hopefully a benefactor, somebody who um, had the ability to dictate what they did or didn't do. And I wouldn't ever want to see that taken away. Now, the thing that people don't like in what I'm saying is that there is risk in being an entrepreneur. You could actually lose money. And for people who want to be taken care of, people who aren't willing to work hard, well, then they may not like what I'm saying. But the fact remains that for those who are willing to work hard, the, the ability to make outsized returns continues to exist in a capitalist environment, whereas in a socialist or a Marxist environment, that does not exist. It is taken away from you, and you rise only to the level that the state will allow you to achieve, or alternately, you sell out to the state and become part of the ruling class in which case you become one of the oppressors of the masses yourself rather than being one of the oppressed. Well, that's not a good outcome either. And none other than George Orwell wrote about this exact set of behaviors in his book, Animal Farm, and later in a book called 1984. But Animal Farm is the one you really wanna read if you wanna understand how people were talking about this as little as 50 years ago. 
And I remember, of course, reading that in high school. A lot of people don't know that he wrote it in 1948, and he came up with 1984 by, you know, switching 48 to 84. I right. can remember in high school, which for me was in the late 60s, uh, 1984 seemed a long time in the future. And of course, now it's like in the distant past. But I saw a very funny meme just last week. Somebody sent it to me. It was a T-shirt and it said, boy, was I right, signed George <laughs> Orwell. And I just thought it was funny. Yeah. It's Sadly, true. Yeah, it's, it's really sad that it's that he was right, but it is right. And so, you know, I've, I've kind of maybe gone on too long here with what I've been saying, but again, capitalism left unchecked is a dangerous thing, just like communism or socialism left unchecked is a dangerous thing, but it remains true. And America is living proof of it. More than 200 years of history prove it, that capitalism gives us more freedom than any other economic system. So we certainly don't want to tear it down in favor of some alternate culture. And, you know, we can we can point to a lot of people who are indicative of this. Um, let's start with Barack Obama, because if it were true that, you know, racism has ipso facto uh, banned people of color from rising to political office, then it would not be true that Barack Obama could have ever become president of the United States. We can look at many of the mayors of the major cities in the United States. I'm thinking right at this moment of Marion Barry, the mayor of Washington, DC. And I can also think of Tom Bradley of Los Angeles, my hometown. If I'm not mistaken, I think Tom Bradley was the first black mayor in the United States. Um, but we've had many, many people since then. Then we think of, for example, Andrew Young, UN ambassador or US ambassador to the UN, probably be the better way to say it. And right now we've got a vice president, Kamala Harris, who's a woman of color. These things could not happen except for the fact that there has been an upward lift. It's probably been slower than it should have been. And there are many people who would like to have seen it advance more readily because there's no reason that, you know, blacks or browns or yellows or reds are, uh, are inferior or would be inferior to white people. All are equal in the sight of God. All are given skills. All are given intelligence and wisdom. And if they will use those things well, according to the ways God intended for them to be used, and that's a critical statement, according to the way God intended for them to be used. If we try to circumvent the system that God created, if we try to outsmart God, if we think we've got a better idea, generally that's not going to work out. But if we will follow the ways of God, um, we will find that in general, he will bless us and will increase us. And, you know, a book was written about this one, too, by a man named Max Weber, M-A-X, first name, Max would be the way we'd say it in American. And, and Weber would be the American pronunciation of that last name, W-E-B-E-R. But Max Weber, he wrote about these things and he wrote a book called um, Capitalism, or, sorry, Protestantism. Uh, and the origins of capitalism. And he looks at how those who took these things to heart had greater prosperity in Europe. And he talked about the prosperity, the differential prosperity of the Northern European countries versus those of the Southern European countries who didn't follow the dictates of the ways of God as nearly. I'm not saying they completely failed. I'm just saying it's a differential there. And even to this day, we see greater prosperity in England, France, Germany, the Scandinavian countries, 
than we do among the countries that at least on Wall Street are known as the pigs, Portugal, Italy, Greece, and Spain. And I know pigs sounds pejorative, but that's a term that's in use. So I'm just using it because others have used well, it. Well, it's, it's the initials of those countries right. that spell something. That's exactly correct. That's exactly correct. It's simply an acronym. I guess we could have called it GIPS, right? Greece, Italy, Portugal, Spain. But the point is there's a differential there between the Northern and Southern European countries. And it all goes right back to this idea that they were, at least at the time of the Reformation, trying to embody and to live out the values and the teachings that are found in the scriptures. And those countries that embrace this more fully, and again, it's not a perfect embracing, and this is not a perfect one-to-one -one correspondence, but the trend line is undisputable. As that, as that gets played out over a couple of hundred years of, of history, we see a phenomenon that has been noted by missiologists as redemption and lift. Those who follow the ways of God find redemption and they are lifted out of their oppression and despair to higher levels of economic prosperity. And that differential, at least in Europe, persists right into the present day. That's why we hear more about economic crisis, um, central bank problems, currency devaluations, inability to service debt in the, well, we'll call them GIPS countries so we don't, uh, so we don't offend anyone in those four Southern European countries than we do in nations like Germany, France, Switzerland is on the, the Northern list, England, et cetera. And so, um, Again, history has borne this out. This is, this is a better way to live because God's vision ultimately is that every man should sit under his own vine and fig tree. I'm quoting from the prophets, the Hebrew prophets. God wants us to be able to control our own economic destiny under him, not unto ourselves, but underneath his guidance. And so all of this is tied together in the American experiment and it's part of what has made us the most prosperous and successful nation on earth. And it's part of what has driven freedom in this country. And, and let's not forget that um, about 4 million uh, Americans, the majority, vast majority of whom were white, laid down their lives in order to end slavery in the United States of America. I think that fact has been largely omitted from the current conversation. And if all of these people wanted nothing more than to enslave and oppress blacks, those men would not have died for the sake of freedom. Very good point. And as we wrap up this podcast, let's circle back around to talk about cancel culture, because this is just one aspect. You know, bigger things are happening in the culture, you know, that we've gone into. But right now, it seems that those who oppose the gospel and oppose you know, just uh, kind of traditional conservative values, in, including, in my opinion, even patriotism, you know, such as standing for the Star Spangled Banner and lots of examples. They want to like obliterate this from the public square in a way that prayer in schools was obliterated with the Supreme Court case, or, you know, uh, they don't, they certainly don't do prayers before sporting events, very, very few, I guess maybe a few high schools do if they have a conservative principle. But I mean, they've kind of gotten rid of this. They, they want the church to stay in the four walls. I mean, this is a very broad topic that we could talk about, but I want your opinion on how all of this relates to what we now call cancel culture. Yeah, well, so everything I said was really preamble. And so I'm glad you've asked the question. 
if we try to cancel culture, we are in fact taking away everything that I just described, all of which in the end is rooted in the Bible. All of it is rooted in the, in the impact of Christianity in shaping the civilization of Europe over about, I'll say roughly a 1750 year period. Christianity became a legal religion in the year 313 AD. Uh, we're in 2021, that works out to just about 1750 years ago. And so there's been a cumulative effect over many centuries, thousands, well, closing in on 2000 years, we're not quite there yet, but a thousand years and more of building a society that's, that's grounded in and founded upon Christian principles. And that society is the one that they're wanting to tear down. And so when we talk about cancel culture, we're not just dealing with all of the, um, all of the you know, capitalism and the other things that I was mentioning. We are actually talking about destroying Christianity. And you know, when they were having the riots last summer, there was some video that went around, and, and I don't think it was fake. I think it was legitimate of uh, what was going on in the Chaz in, in uh, Portland, Oregon. They were literally bringing Bibles and burning them, literally bringing bound printed Bibles and creating a bonfire out of them. Well, how is this any different from the very pictures that outraged us when we saw Hitler's burning of books in the 1930s just before the Second World War. And so what we now see is an effort to erase the very foundations of what has created a society that has been more just and more fair than any in history. And we know what book burning leads to. It always leads to oppression and repression. It was true under the Spanish Inquisition in the Middle Ages. It was true under Hitler. And it was also true under Stalin and Pol Pot and Mao Zedong. I mean, every single dictator in history wants to do exactly this. And this is why cancel culture is dangerous. How do you think all this is going to work out? Well, um, you know, Steve, I, I like to be an optimist and I try to maintain a, an optimistic view of life. But I want to say, you know, right now, uh, people that think the way you and I do, do not hold the high ground. We do not hold the levers of power. That all changed uh, at the last election. And by the way, I think that was the accumulated victory of probably a long march of about 40 years or so. Um, it, it was going back to, well, maybe even 50 years, the, the 1960s and the unrest of the 60s and so forth. When the I, left agree, really I agree with you. And that march was supposed to include Hillary Clinton, Clinton getting in in 2016. And of course, Trump messed that up, That's uh, right. which, which led to all the outrage we've seen since then. But go ahead. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly correct about all that. So right now, um, I think I think the the cards are stacked against us, and I think we have our work cut out for us. And anybody who thinks that you know this is all just going to go away on its own um, is probably whistling past the graveyard. This is a time for people to read up. That's why I named some of these books that normally are only read in better universities. Uh, so that people can become educated and understand what the issues are at a deeper level than what we can do in a podcast or, 
you know, some preacher can throw out in a sermon or somebody can just, you know, create some little whiz bang video on Facebook. Um, people need to become educated and they need to start pushing back. Now we need to be polite. We don't need to engage in violence, but we do need to be firm and we need to become as unrelenting. I think the, the, the theological term is perseverance. We need to become as unrelenting about this as our opponents are. I agree with you, and I think that's a good place to leave this. It went a little bit longer than usual, but I think it was well worth it. So as we wrap up this podcast, I want people to know how they can connect with Ken Fish and your ministry. Yeah, um, my website is called Orbis Ministries, O-R-B-I-S, Orbis. That's a Latin word that means unto the world. And of course, the fact that I'm using Latin tells you, you know, I, I've, I've studied this a bit. Um, and so I, I want to draw on the deep roots of righteousness and justice that exist in Western civilization, recognizing, of course, that we can always improve and do better. Um, and people can, can go to orbisministries.org and they can, uh, they can find me there. I also have my own podcast under the name Ken Fish. And uh, we have some other stuff available, but if they go searching social media, they'll find Orbis Ministries quick enough. Well, thank you very much. And I encourage people to engage with you. I, as you know, uh, support your ministry from time to time. I really believe that you're a very important voice at a very important time in our history. So thank you for taking time for the podcast. I'll just mention to my listeners that I, you know, even as we're recording this, of course, people will listen to it months later. But in April of 2021, that I am off writing this book and will include many of these thoughts in the book. It's already available on Amazon.com. Uh, you can order it. Yeah, for now. <laughs> uh, actually, I talk about that in the book, but um, you can pre order it. It's called God and Cancel Culture by Stephen Strang. And it's fairly easy to find. And it's always good if you can get a lot of pre orders. So I am just starting to mention this on my podcast. And I'll say to my listeners, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for sharing this. There are people who need to hear this very important podcast. And it's as you share it and as you come back day by day, it's why the podcast has grown. And I uh, just a few days ago passed 10 million downloads. And so I want to thank you for making this podcast successful. Until next time, this is Stephen Strang for the Strang Report on the Charisma Podcast Network. God bless you. This is Stephen Strang again. Even though I signed off on my Strang Report podcast, I want to add a couple of words. And you must be interested if you're still listening. One of the reasons I'm doing this podcast on its own name, in its own way, is to attract readers to my new book, which releases Tuesday, September 7th, the day after Labor Day. It's easy to remember. It's going to be available everywhere. Right now, it's only available on Amazon.com as a pre-order. And you can go to Amazon.com, either look for my name, Stephen Strang, or look for the name God and Cancel Culture. You can order it. They don't charge you, and they don't mail the book until the release date, September 7th. Would you share this podcast with friends? Would you tell friends that you think may be interested in the book? I would really appreciate it. I think you'll enjoy the book. I believe it's my best one yet and also maybe one of the most important. The subtitle for the book, which we just decided a few days ago, is Stand Strong Before It's Too Late.